Romans 15, verses 1 through 13. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Thank you, Sonia. We'll go ahead and have a seat, everybody. Welcome to Harvest. It's nice to have a mama read scripture on Mother's Day, isn't it? We had a few mamas as well leading worship for us. So, uh, so thankful for all the moms here at Harvest Decatur this Mother's Day 2021. Thank you, moms. The moms of Harvest Decatur are absolutely essential to what we do here as a church. I want y'all to hear me say that. And I want to say thank you for the work that you do, moms. And I want to exhort you as your pastor to keep doing it. Don't give up on your kids, even if your kids are 50 years old. Well, praise the Lord. Let's turn to Romans 15 together and look at this passage that Sonia read. And I want to start with this. You know, Romans, this book that we've been studying for a while, I think it has a reputation for being a book of doctrinal precision. Don't you think? Think of it that way. And, and that's not inaccurate. There's a ton of content in this book about justification and sanctification and glorification. And Paul deals with some, some tough theological topics in this book, topics like election and predestination. This book is theologically and philosophically sophisticated. It's intellectually satisfying. But that's not all Romans is about. You know, Paul can get really practical in this book, too. Paul can get into the nitty-gritty of conflict resolution in this book. Case in point, Romans 14 and 15, where Paul is addressing a serious and practical threat to the unity of the church. 
And, and, you know, it's not like Paul's plea for unity is just a few verses. I mean, Paul goes on from Romans 14, verse 1, all the way to our passage today, Romans 15, verse 13. That's lots of content in this book on conflict resolution. And just as a refresher, the issue in Rome was basically diet and days, diet and days. Some Jews, the weaker brothers, were very fastidious about what they were eating, about not eating meat because they were afraid that that meat had been polluted in some way in the local meat market. Other believers, primarily Gentiles, whom Paul calls the stronger brothers, are not concerned about diet or days. They're not, they have freedom in Christ Jesus. They can eat whatever they want with a clear conscience. And they do. And, you know, I'll just be honest. I like that group. If I was in Rome, I'd be in the meat eaters party. <laughs> Give me that meat. I told Sonia yesterday that I've decided to become a partial vegetarian. Did y'all know that? This is breaking news. I'm going to be a vegetarian on the days that don't end in the letter Y. Every other day of the week, I'm going to eat meat. So there you go. But Paul's point here is not really that we should eat meat or that we should not eat meat. His concern instead is that those who eat meat should love and worship alongside those who don't. And those who don't eat meat should love and worship alongside those who do. And that these differences in the church that we have, differences of opinion on certain matters, should not be something that's divisive in the church. And Paul's so concerned that these different groups in the church have started to become divisive that he pleads with them for unity. From chapter 14, verse 1, all the way to chapter 15, verse 13. And likewise, I've been pleading for unity in our church too, all along the way. In fact, this is my third message today, entitled, Paul's Plea for Unity. This is Paul's Plea for Unity, part three. And I, I rarely do sequels with my sermons. Rarely. This is not just a sequel. This is, this is a trilogy. Tony's Plea for Unity, part three, because this is so important, not just to me, to, but to Paul, that he writes so much about it in this book on doctrine, in the book of Romans. And, and maybe after the last two weeks, as I've pled with you, you say to yourself, okay, Pastor Tony, you've made a good effort to encourage unity in our church, but you know what? I'm just not feeling it. I'm just not feeling it. I just don't like some of the people in this church because they do X, Y, and Z. I just, just got too many problems with them. I don't like this church because their position on masks or because of their emphasis on small groups or because of the worship style of the worship team or because, you know, you just get too amped up when you preach, Pastor Tony. Or perhaps you're not planning to leave the church because of that, but you're, you're, you're still upset about X, Y, and Z. And so you're going to let everybody know that you're upset about X, Y, and Z. And I just want to plead with you one final time before you go down that road of disunity. I just want to offer you one final plea from the book of Romans for unity in our church. Because it's so good. And what I want to do today is I want to center this message on four beautiful, wonderful words. Okay? I'm just going to give you my outline right now. Here's where I'm going. Four words. Mutuality, harmony, worship, and hope. Those four words. 
and Romans 15. That's what this message is about. Mutuality, harmony, worship, and hope. Let's look at those one at a time in Romans 15. Let's start with this word mutuality. Mutuality, great word. You can write that down as number one in your notes. Four points this morning. Here's the first. Be united in Christ for mutuality in his church. Be united in Christ for mutuality. Paul says in verse one, we who are strong have an obligation, not an opportunity, not an ability. No, no, no. It's stronger than that. We have an obligation. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, let's just stop right there. Everybody watching online, everybody in our sanctuary, everybody downstairs, let me just ask you a question. Are you a strong Christian? Do you think of yourself that way? Um, You know, when Paul's talking about strong Christians, that's me, that's me. Well, if that is you, if that is me, then I want you to know that Paul is saying right here, you need to set aside your own desires, your own pleasing of yourself to help the weak. You need to die to yourself for the help of the weak. That's actually what makes you strong, is that you can do that. That you can love others and sacrificially give to help another. Strong Christians are obliged to bear with the failings of the weak. And it's the exact opposite of the way that strength is often used in the world. Jesus said that the rulers of the Gentiles lord their authority over their subordinates. Jesus said to his disciples, it shall not be so among you. You're not going to be like that, disciples. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Matthew 20, verse 26. Jesus modeled that for us. Jesus gave of himself. Literally, he gave himself to be sacrificed on our behalf. The Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 20, verse 28. Paul's saying the same thing here, but he's putting it in the context of the local church. The strong need to bear with the failings of the weak. The, the strong, if, you're, if your brother or sister in Christ has a tender conscience If they're the weaker brother, if they've got a tender conscience about food or about alcohol or about vaccines or about politics, don't rub your freedom in their face. Be kind to them. Be gracious to them. Be loving towards them. Be long-suffering with them. Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. I love that verse. There's that Greek word again, oikodome. I mentioned this word last week, oikodome, great word. Paul uses it again in verse two. Upbuilding, edification. That should be the constant concern of the Christian. Is what I'm doing building up other people? Is what I'm, is what I'm doing right now edifying other people? It's, it's, you know, it, am I being selfish here or selfless with what I want? Am I prioritizing others here? Or do I care only about the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I? It, do I am I giving of myself to build others up? Edification, oikodome? I, I think that's a problem in some churches. Where people say, I don't care about you, I don't care about anybody else, I'm just going to do what I do, what I want, what I want to do, whenever I want to do it. Paul says, forget that mindset. Focus, focus on oikodome. Focus on edification. Focus on, here's the word I'm going for. Focus on mutuality. On loving others. And building others up. Focus on the mutual upbuilding of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's unifying in the body of Christ. And that's beautiful to the Lord. 
And there's a sense here in which Paul is basically saying, you guys think you're the strong ones? You guys think you're the strong ones? You guys talk like you're strong. Well, if you're strong, then act like it. Set aside your own desires for the sake of the weak. That's what it means to be strong. It means to help them. You might say, okay, Pastor Tony, you got an example of this in the Bible, do you? Somebody who was really strong, who set aside their own desires for the sake of the weak. Yes, I do have an example of that. His name is Jesus. He's pretty much my best example all the time. And Paul references him in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Why should we do this, Paul? Why? Why? Here's why. For Christ did not please himself. Are, are we all, can we all agree that Christ was strong? He was the strongest believer all the time around. He was a strong one, right? And Paul says he did not please himself. Think, think what kind of world we would live in right now. Think where we would be if Christ just sought to please himself and not us. We'd be in a world of hurt. We'd be left in the lurch. But Christ didn't do that. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, says Paul, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Oh, that's a good word too. We'll get to that in a second. Hope. Here's what Paul's doing here. Paul quotes Psalm 69 verse 9 in reference to Christ. That's why he speaks in verse 4 about the enduring value of the Old Testament scriptures for us. They have great value because they instruct us. And they have great value because they testify about Christ. And this attitude of Christ, this self-sacrificing for others was evident in the Old Testament too. This mentality typologically goes back to David in the Old Testament when David said to God, the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. He suffered on behalf of another. David did. This goes back even farther than David. It goes all the way back to Moses. When Moses said to God, kill me, not them. Take my life instead of killing the Israelites. And and he interceded for the Israelites. Moses was the strong one. Moses was the great intercessor. Moses was the mature one. He was the humble one. He was the man of God. He didn't use his strength and his authority to be domineering over the, the grumbling Israelites in the wilderness. He said, kill me, not them. Take my life for them. And he sacrificed himself for others. And the only time he didn't have that kind of attitude, when he struck the rock instead of speaking to it, God kept him out of the promised land for his disobedience. Moses was strong, but he, he failed. David was strong. David was a great leader, but he failed. Jesus Christ was strong. He gave up himself. He never, ever failed us. And the essence of what Paul is saying here is church in Rome, and the Holy Spirit saying, listen up, church in Decatur. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Emphasize others over and above yourself. By the way, you'll be more like Moses and David than you will like Jesus, okay? You will fail in this. But nevertheless, this is what we're pursuing. Be like Jesus. Set aside our strength, our desires as the strong ones for the sake of the weak. That's mutuality. Write this down as well as number two. Not just mutuality, but here's another great word. Harmony. Be united in Christ for harmony. For harmony. I've used this illustration before. Let me circle back with it. A a good church, 
A healthy church is like a symphony orchestra, right? It's, it's this great grouping of different kinds of instruments that are playing together and making beautiful music together. And you have different kinds of instruments. And that's the nature of the symphony, and that's good. You got the woodwinds, and you got the brass, and you got the percussions. And, and they all have different ways of playing, and they all have different tones, and different sound qualities, and different volumes. And the conductor gets up in front of everybody and leads it to me, so that we're making beautiful music together. That's Jesus. He's lead, leading all of us, even though we have differences, even though we're built differently. He's, he's bringing us together so that we're harmonious as a church, not discordant. Have you ever been to a symphony production that's discordant? It's painful. And Paul doesn't want that in the church. Christ doesn't want that in the church. He wants us harmonious, using our gifts together to make beautiful music. Paul says this in verse 5. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Now, now stay with me here for a moment. I just want to share something technical with you real quick. Verse 5 here, Paul is using a Greek word here in the optative mood, okay? It's very rare in the New Testament. And it's basically the kind of conjugation you use for a verb when you're praying or when you're asking for something to be fulfilled, a wish fulfillment or something like that. So basically what we have here is that Paul, he's teaching, he's teaching, he's teaching and teaching. All of a sudden he just breaks out in prayer. He just starts praying. And, and sometimes you got to stop teaching and just start praying. Sometimes the only way you can get past some conflict in the church is enough teaching. We're just going to pray our way through this. And so that's what Paul said. He just starts praying for them. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, Roman church, to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What a great prayer. I've actually been praying that prayer for our church this week. I've been changing those pronouns from you to us, praying for our church. And I love in this prayer how Paul, he never gravitates too far from Jesus Christ. You notice that? He keeps coming back to Jesus. And notice also, church, that your unity, our unity as a church, is dependent on Christ Jesus. He's the conductor, right? He's the one that keeps us in sync. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. Look at verse 7. Paul says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another. You got differences in the church? That's okay. Come on in here. You think differently about this secondary issue than I do? That's okay. Welcome to church. Let's go worship together. That's the mentality here. That's what Paul's ordering them to do. He's not praying in verse 7, by the way. He's telling them what to do. Welcome one another for the glory of God. Paul references glory twice here. The glory of God in verse 7. And glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 6. Paul makes a connection. I want you all to see this connection. Paul makes a connection between unity and glory. How unity in the church glorifies God. You know, what, you know what glorifies God in Harvest Decatur? You know what glorifies him in the church? Unity. 
glorifies him. You know what blesses his name in the church? Harmony. When people from different backgrounds with different opinions on stuff can come together and worship, that, that blesses his name. And Paul doesn't say this directly, but I'm going to make an inference based on this text. You know what doesn't glorify God in the church? Disunity. You know what dishonors him? Disharmony in the church. I read a commentary this last week that said it this way. This was perfectly, succinctly stated. The author says, there is little that brings honor to the Lord in a feuding, fighting fellowship. Did y'all hear that? That's good alliteration. I appreciate that as a pastor. That's not just alliteration, it's a, it's, a, it's a great point. Let me say it again. There is little that brings honor to the Lord in a feuding, fighting fellowship. When the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is fighting or disputing or wrangling over secondary issues, that doesn't bless his name. That's the opposite of what Paul is praying for here. Paul might as well be praying against that, a feuding, fighting fellowship. I'm sure he probably did pray something like that. Lord, please, please help this church in Rome. Help them to stop fighting over dieting days. These secondary matters. I mean, what do you think God experiences when he looks down and he sees churches fighting over the color of the carpet? Praise God that's never happened here at Harvest Decatur. But I guarantee you that's help happening in some churches. How do you think God feels when he sees that? I'll tell you how he feels. It grieves his heart, that disunity over something so minor. How do you think God feels when we fight on social media with one another over secondary issues? In front of the world. I'll tell you how he feels. It grieves him. It grieves him. And let me flip the script for you and give you something more positive to to go after. How does God feel when he sees his church agreeing to disagree on non-essential issues? Learning to love each other and live together in mutuality and unity and forgiveness in the church of Jesus Christ, in the church that Jesus Christ died for. How do you think God feels about that? He loves it. That puts a smile on his face. When the weak love the strong and the strong love the weak and the weak give of themselves for the strong and the strong give of themselves for the weak and we can get together and say, yeah, we disagree on this, but let's get together and worship Jesus. God loves that. He loves that. And that was so important to him that he commissioned the Apostle Paul to write a whole chapter and more on that in the book of Romans. I am so glad for Romans 14 and 15. I'm so glad that we made it to the end of this book. I, I'm, I, I guess you probably wanted to quit somewhere along the way, didn't you? But we made it, and this is good. And what do we got here? We got mutuality in the church. Love that. We've got harmony in the church, number two. Love that too, like an orchestra, all of us. Different though we are, coming together, making beautiful music together in the church. Here's a third thing that we unify in Christ for. We unify in Christ for worship. For worship. Be united in Christ for worship, number three. 
Now listen, what follows in these next few verses is, quite frankly, a work of art. It, it is a beautiful tapestry. Because what Paul's going to do is he's going to quote from several different Old Testament passages, the Jewish scriptures that reference the Gentiles coming into the fellowship. That's what he's going to talk about. He's going to quote from the Jewish scriptures to reinforce the idea that God loves Gentiles. That alone right there, what, what Paul does in these next few verses, is amazing. But get this, here's, here's the genius of what, what follows. Paul's actually going to quote from three different parts of the Old Testament to reinforce these ideas. The Old Testament, just so you know, it breaks down into three different sections. There's the law, there's the uh, writings, and the prophets. In Hebrew, this is referred to as the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Katuvim. Together, they're referred to as the Tanakh, T-N-K. The Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Katuvim, okay? The law, the writing, and the prophets. Those three sections. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to use scriptures from those three sections to reinforce this idea that God loves Gentiles and he's bringing them into his kingdom. It's really quite glorious. I'll show you here. So first of all, he quotes from the Torah, the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. Paul says this, quotes this from Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. This is in verse 10. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So Paul quotes from the Torah. Then Paul quotes from the writings, the Ketuvim, the books of poetry and wisdom, the Psalms and other books like it, Proverbs, etc. Paul quotes in verse 9, the Psalter. He says, as it is written, Psalms 18, verse 49, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That's a messianic passage in the book of Psalms. And then Paul does that again in verse 11 when he says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. That's a quotation from Psalm 117, verse 1. If you guys have a study Bible or a cross-referencing Bible, you probably see those references in your notes somewhere. And then Paul quotes from the prophets, the Nevi'im. In verse 10, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. Isaiah is usually Paul's go-to book when he wants to do something messianic in his writings or reference something messianic because, just so you know, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament is very, very messianical. There's lots of messiah, messiah, uh, messiah references in the book of Isaiah. So Paul says in verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. So let's review here. Here's Paul's genius. Let me show it to you. Paul quotes from the three main parts of the Jewish scriptures, the law, the prophets, and the writings. He quotes these passages to emphasize the work of God among the Gentiles that were originally written in Hebrew in order to encourage this church full of Hebrews and Gentiles to love each other and get along better. Did y'all get all that? Paul quotes these Hebrew scriptures that talk about Gentiles to a church full of Hebrews and Gentiles so that they get along better brilliant and it's not and, and I let me qualify that it's not just like horizontally like let's get along I don't really like you that much but I guess we'll go to church together what's the goal here what's he trying to steer them towards you guys get together you Gentiles and you Jews and you worship God that's the focus that's the theme try to catch it okay I'm gonna read it 
Verse 8 to verse 12. Try to catch it. See if you find that theme. Worship. For I tell you, says Paul, verse 8, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That's shorthand for the Jews. To show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Verse 9. In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Verse 10, and again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. I mean, look at the use of words here. Glorify, praise, sing, rejoice. Praise again in verse 11, extol. Even hope in verse 12. The God of the Hebrews, the God of the Old Testament has saved Gentiles and brought them into his family. And for what purpose? Why are we here, Gentiles? Why has he brought us into the church? Well, in the words of Jenny Gibbons, to get our praise on. (laughs) That's why we're here. To worship God. Are y'all feeling this? Do I need to get louder? And it's so beautiful how Paul uses these references to Gentiles. Did y'all notice that? Your room full of Gentiles, did you? Gentiles, 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 Gentiles. I hope that's not lost on you. You wild olive shoots, you grafted in. You have a Jewish savior. A Jewish man was born to a Jewish woman in the Jewish community in fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures so that you might get saved and come into that community. We don't deserve that. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to get our praise on. We're going to worship the Lord. And we're not going to let these little differences that we have get in the way of that. Whether it's Jew versus Gentile or maybe something else. Because some of you might say, Pastor Tony, we don't have this great divide between Jew and Gentile in our church. We don't have squabbles over diet and days at Harvest Decatur. Okay. But, but we got squabbles, don't we? There's things we disagree on. And those things actually can become, become quite divisive. We can actually discriminate against one another because, oh, they're in that camp. They're in that group. That's just part of human nature. We're just factious by nature. We just, I'm with them, not them. In fact, I was thinking about this this last week. Things that create a barrier to mutuality, harmony, and worship in the church. And yeah, we, we might not have that diet and days Jewish Gentiles thing at harvest, but I think there's some other things that could crop up, and I, I made a list of them. They're in your notes. You can write these down. I'm calling these eight disunifying ways that churches discriminate against one another. Brace yourself. Holy Spirit, use this for conviction where it's needed. How about age discrimination? Yeah, we might not have a Jewish-Gentile divide, but do we, do we sometimes have an old versus young divide? Oh, they're so old school. Oh, they're so new school. They're so baby boomer. They're so millennial. We'd never say anything like that, would we? How about socioeconomic discrimination? That can happen in the church. Too rich, too poor, too urban, too suburban, too rural, 
too ghetto, too hoity-toity. We just divide over these issues. How about education discrimination? What if somebody came to me and said, Pastor Tony, we want a small group full of people who only have graduate school degrees. That's all we want. By the way, no one has ever asked me for that. And I I would not grant that. We're not going to start a small group of 20-something vegetarians who have 2.5 children and drive a minivan. We, We want... Everybody hear me on this? This is, this is so close to my heart. It really is. Diversity is good in our church. Diversity is good in our small groups. I said this a few weeks ago. I, I, th- I want to say it again. Homogeneity is boring. I don't want that. Small groups, everybody just looks like everybody else in the group. We can learn from each other. It's good to have differences. Here's another one. If you haven't been convicted yet, here's number four. How about political affiliation discrimination? I wonder if the Apostle Paul, if he wrote to us, let's just say more broadly, the church in America, not just Harvest Decatur, what would he say in Romans 14 through 15? Okay, maybe it's not diet and days. I think it would probably be politics. I think he would probably say, stop fighting about politics in the church. You are the church of Jesus Christ. Act like it. Love each other and worship together even though you disagree on stuff. Number five, how about new Christian versus old Christian discrimination? How many people got saved early in life in this church? I prefer new Christians, baby Christians. Too many people in this church got saved later in life. Where are the mature believers? I just want to spend time with mature believers. God help us to not be like that. How about racial discrimination? That's a big deal in America today. It's not Jew versus Gentile. It's white versus black. People from different racial backgrounds can't get along in the church, even though the Bible clearly says that we all come from Adam. How about heart bias versus head bias discrimination? Number seven. Those people in church, they're too emotional. Ever heard that before? Those people in church, they're just too intellectual. As if, like, we only want one or the other of those. I don't want only one or the other of those ever in the church. I'm glad we have differences in that. And I don't know who the strong and the weak is. Don't ask me. It doesn't matter. I'm glad we have differences. In fact, Sonia was reading this yesterday, just kind of practicing Romans 15, and she said, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak, She misread it. Not failures of the week, but feelings of the week. Is that a Freudian slip? The feelings of the week? I don't want to just put up with the feelings of the week. Some of you might say, we who are strong have obligation to bear with the intellectualizing of the week. I want a good sample of church folk who are on both sides of that equation. That's good for the church. That's healthy. How about number eight, personality type discrimination? That person's too direct, that person's too passive, that person's too domineering, that person's too much of a peacemaker. You know what's great about the church? You know what's great about the church? Is that God has brought all these different people with different backgrounds, different personality types, and he has coalesced us into the body of Christ. 
and we come to church on Sunday and we worship and we love each other, and yes, we have differences, but that shouldn't inhibit our worship. I love that about the church. Paul wants the church in Rome to get there. He's pleading with them to set their differences aside and focus on Christ. He's pleading with us, the Holy Spirit is, through this text, to set our differences aside and focus on Christ. And that leads to the final word. Be united in Christ Jesus for mutuality. Be united in Christ Jesus for harmony. Be united in Christ Jesus for worship. Finally, be united in Christ Jesus for hope. We share the same hope, don't we? Paul says this. Let's finish this up. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. By the way, Paul is using the optative mood again. Paul's praying again. Sometimes you gotta just stop teaching and start praying. I'm about to do that in a moment. He just starts praying. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in what, Harvest Decatur, what's your Bible say? What's the final word in verse 13? Hope. You know, maybe I've been a little hard on the church the last three weeks or so, pleading for unity. I just want y'all to know, if you haven't heard me say this before, I love the church of Jesus Christ. I love the church, and I love this church. I love Harvest Decatur. And I love what God is doing here, and I've given my life to the edification of the church as best I can. And the reason I love the church so much, the reason I've given so much of my time and energy to it is because the church has two things going for it that no other organization in the world has going for it. Okay, two things. The first, and they're both mentioned in verse 13. The first thing is the Holy Spirit. I think this goes without saying, but IBM doesn't have the Holy Spirit running that organization. Google has some good things happening right now, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. Tesla might make a billion cars in the next century. I don't know. They don't got the Holy Spirit like we got the Holy Spirit in the church. Maybe that's why I love it so much. And Paul prays that the power of the Holy Spirit would be activated in the church. I'm praying for that for our church as well. And the second thing that the church of Jesus Christ has, besides the Holy Spirit, is hope. Hope. I mean real hope. Not like, I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon. I mean like eschatological hope. There's only one organization in this world that's going right on into eternity. And it ain't IBM. And it ain't Tesla. And, and it's not the U.S. government either. And I love the Moody Bible Institute, but it's not the Moody Bible Institute either. You know the only organization in this world that's going right on into eternity 
It's the church of Jesus Christ going to return to the bridegroom, the bride of Christ. I love that. And that hope should unite us. Harvesticator, we share that hope here. We share that. We have that in common. Yeah, we're different. Yeah, we're different. Some of y'all root for the Cubs. Some of y'all root for the Cardinals. Some of y'all gag, root for the Chicago Bears, I know. Some of y'all are baby boomers. Any baby boomers in the house? It's it's a quiet generation. (laughs) We got millennials in the house. We got Gen Zers. We got the cream of the crop too. The Gen Xers like myself. (laughs) The strong ones, you know. And we're different, and God brings us together. And we have mutuality, and we have harmony, and we have worship, and we have hope, right? Praise God for that. I'll close with this. I kind of tricked you guys today, and I, I want to come straight, get straight with you now. Cause if you remember at the beginning of this message, I said this message was about four things. We had... Mutuality, harmony, worship, and hope, those four things. But it's not really about those four things. Sorry. (laughs) This sermon is really about one thing, about one word. And you probably noticed it already in the outline. Be united in Christ for mutuality. Be united in Christ for harmony. Be united in Christ for worship. Be united in Christ for hope. Do you see the real theme in this message today? This message really isn't about harmony, worship, hope, or mutuality. This sermon is about Christ. Honestly, you know, all my sermons are about Christ, hopefully. And what Paul says in Romans 15, 1 through 13, what he's telling the church is, come on, church, you belong to Christ. You belong to him. Let Christ draw your hearts together. Let Christ be the focus of all you do. Let Christ unify you as a church and keep you from disunifying disputes. In fact, let me paint a picture as I close this up. There's, if you remember from science class in high school, there's these two forces at work. When, you know, the, the moon circles the earth, when the planet circled the sun, there's centripetal force and then there's centrifugal force. Y'all remember this? And the centripetal force, centripetal means center seeking. The centripetal force is pulling, pulling, pulling that planet or that moon back to the sun, back to the earth. And then there's centrifugal force, which is pushing away, pushing away, pushing away. And the centripetal force is keeping that centrifugal force from pushing planets off out into oblivion. And just as an analogy, I see that same thing at work within the church. There is centripetal force, center-seeking. And the center, as we focus on Christ, Christ draws us 
in keeps us together, keeps us in motion, keeps us circling, keeps us in orbit. But you know it as well as I do. There's also centrifugal forces at work within our church. There's anger pulling us away. There's judgmentalism pulling us away. There's selfishness. There's sin. There's divisiveness. My final exhortation to you is to let the center, let Christ be the force in our lives that unifies us and keeps us together. Let Christ be the center of all that we say and we do, keeping us in unity. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant us harvesticator to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray with me. Yes, Lord, be the center. Be that unifying force in our church. God, I pray that you would help us to see beyond the differences that we have on secondary matters. Help us to love each other. Help us to serve each other. If there's anyone in this church that is strong, God, help them to set aside their desires. Set aside pleasing themselves for the sake of the weak. And Lord, I can't touch on every secondary matter that divides us as church folk. There's too many to count. But Lord, don't let our differences of opinion on those things keep us from gathering to worship. Don't let those things keep us from having unity. In the body of Christ, I pray. And Holy Spirit, I ask you right now to work in our midst, work in the hearts of the people gathered here, those listening online. If there's anything that we're doing, there's any way that we are disunifying our church, God, convict us of it, I pray. Convict me of it. For the sake of unity. For the sake of worship. Jesus, we love you. We praise you for being our Savior for dying for our sins, for giving us hope beyond this present life. Receive our worship, Lord. Give us one voice now as we stand and sing and worship together. Pray in your name, amen.